0: Here we go! Back after a week off. Um, My my name is Mark Reel, your host here uh, with State of the Family Courts. It is Thursday, September 9th, and our guest tonight is Jamie Graham from San Antonio, Texas. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. Certainly, Mark. All right. So before we hop in tonight, we were off last week. I I need to do a little bit of housekeeping, um, get some announcements out to everyone. So, uh, number one is this show is now live and available as a podcast on Spotify, Podbean, and here in the next couple of days, it will be available on Apple Podcasts. So if you go to um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and it's TFRM Presents State of the Family Courts, you can actually get this show in an audio-only version. Uh, another piece we just recently launched, our website for the show is now live, www.stateofthefamilycourts.com. We've housed all the YouTube videos. The full, uh, full shows are all archived there. You can also um, subscribe to the podcast through the website. Um, and probably most importantly, um, being September 9th, is uh the uh future super bowl champion dallas cowboys uh kick off here in about 20 minutes so i'll have to hop on and uh catch the probably second third and fourth quarters of the game so thank you so much jamie um so you are from or you practice in san antonio texas which we were talking about pre-show is a uh very heavily military town there's a lot of, a lot of military men and women um, that are in there and that's a little bit of a unique spin to your practice. Um, before we hop into that though, so you guys have had a lot of uh, craziness going on in the state of Texas. Um, you got the expanded standard parenting order that's going to go into effect here that, that's going to increase the the parenting time of the non-custodial parent. But you've also seen some other changes that have kind of come along with the pandemic. So, what's what's the temperature? What's going on right now in the ground, in the courtrooms, in the state of Texas?
1: As far as the uh, as far as the SPO stuff, or as far as like yeah, we'll,
0: we'll start out with the SPO stuff um, and, and how that's impacting things. Are we seeing what are we seeing with that that change?
1: I think the judges are very very um, inclined to agree with that. I mean, I, you know, in Texas. Because we are a military installation, I, I I honestly think that we're a little bit more you know inclined to to be uh, dad favored. I mean, you know, I, I do, and 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 a lot of people that come into my office they they ask, you know, this seems to be a state that is you know anti dads, and and really it isn't. Um, we you know we we act on a preponderance of the evidence. We you know we try to do what's in the best interest of the kids. And what happens, you know, then is, you, you know, we, we, we work that out with regard to uh, the best interest stuff and, and the preponderance of the evidence, the 50-50, you know, that they, that, that, that we would like to have started in Texas anyway, is a 50-50 where, you know, they start out with that and then we work our way down. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in Texas, we are, you know, we are working our way up to a 50-50 schedule. I do, I do believe that that's gonna happen at some point. Yeah,
0: being one of the six states that did get wins in terms of legislation this year wasn't ultimately the win. Um, Got got shot down, got killed off by um, an individual who uh, is no longer on that committee um, because of some shenanigans in Austin. So hopefully that's good news for two years from now or right now. There's a big push for a special session. Governor Abbott is uh, calling. So there, there have been some wins on that. So for, for the parents watching tonight that don't know, can you explain uh, the SPO and how, what goes into that being decided?
1: So a standard possession order is just kind of a default that, that the judges take. So it's, a, you know, it's first, third and fifth weekends out of the month. If anybody that's been in the family courts really recognize that. So, I mean, that's kind of how it works. It starts out with standard possession order. At this point right now, we've, we've worked our way into the extended standard or expanded standard, which, you know, it depends on what they want to call it, but we've worked our way into the extended standard and we've been working with that for the last two years. Um, And it's been super effective, especially with our, you know, our military members, because like you said, when you started out, I mean, we have a lot of, we're a military installation in San Antonio. Um, we have a lot of daddies that want a lot of access. And so they've been working toward that end.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, um, in, in the state of Texas, and and we we've had one other Texas attorney Cassandra Daniels on probably about two months ago. Um, for the viewers, how does it get decided who is the custodial parent and then who is the non-custodial parent when either a divorce a couple that's divorcing or an unmarried couple goes into family court for the first time?
1: So in Texas, I think it was it would be similar to every other state. I mean, I, what what they look at is who can foster and encourage a relationship with both biological parents, which to me is the most important thing because. A child that is raised in a family really needs to have both biological parents and if they if they can co-parent effectively that's the that's the best case scenario yeah. um the problem comes when they can't and you know the courts are going to look at things like who can help with that who can what what parent can help with um you know the child being back and forth and not you know there's not going to be any kind of you know poisoning or any kind of you know indoctrination or i know i'm using words that probably shouldn't you know probably not apropos at this point but
0: they're fit they're fitting they are very fitting
1: (laughs) you know i mean that's kind of what happens you know you know i mean i think that if you start out in a in a in a state where there's an equal parenting opportunity um then it then it doesn't give you know one parent one um more more power over the other and I, i think the power part is the real problem in in the family courts honestly i do I think somebody having more power than the other is what's causing a real big issue
0: oh i I couldn't agree more on that and and i just had this discussion with someone a couple weeks back that i had an instance where the dad got had a temporary restraining order against the mom and i looked at the dad and it's like hey it's going to be in your best interest for us to squash this us to agree to a 50 50 plan you're telling me you're not you don't think she's going to have this issue in the future and we can move on and those two went from extremely high conflict where mom thought she was she was the the queen of everything to 6 weeks later and next week we're going to be submitting a final judgment that is going to grant week on uh, 50-50 so i mean that i, think, is,
1: I mean I, I i think that if we had more of those i mean kudos to you mark because truthfully that's what really needs to happen the co-parenting is so critical in these cases mm-hmm. i mean people need I mean, and, and and unfortunately because there's so much you know it's hard for parents to co-parent when there's that when there's any kind of an emotional turmoil in their in their their lives mm-hmm. but They can look past the fact that there is emotional turmoil and look at the fact that their kids are the only thing that really matters in their relationship, because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Right. I mean, the kids are the only thing that matters because the relationship is gone. So stop, you know, stop acting like, you know, one person should be better than the other. But to me, I think that in Texas, we are working toward the end. We are working toward like getting a 50 50 visitation schedule, which is where we should start with it shouldn't be one per, one person over the other or one, one gender over the other. And I think yeah. that's been the, that's been kind of the mechanism in the past.
0: And, and I agree. I mean, I think it's one of those situations where you remove the power element and say, Hey, unless there's a legitimate serious issue, your neighbors in Arkansas have probably the best equal and shared parenting bill outright, or they do have the best in the United States right now, where it's a presumption of 50 50 and it takes, clear and convincing evidence to move off of that. So there has to be a legitimate issue. It's none of the ticky tack, it's none of the minor things that an attorney or even a pro se is gonna throw against the wall and hope sticks. It's very firmly set where both parties are even, both parties are equal. And And I think the big things is societally, we've spent the last 60 years where the woman was the homemaker she stayed at home, she take care, takes care of the kids, and our laws were designed to ensure she was protected in instances of divorce. Sure. Well, legal profession. I, I know when, when I graduated law school in 2017, it was something like 59% of all law school graduates that year were women or more and more women in positions where they're making more and more money. And then we're throwing the burden. We were talking with Casey beforehand. We're putting this burden of not only working extremely stressful long hour jobs but then we're throwing all of the parenting responsibility on them um, sure. and that's not, that's not helping anyone
1: it isn't no it isn't I mean it, it, you know it, it, there needs to be a change um, and I don't think going into the courtroom and you know I do a lot of um, I mean I, I have a small boutique practice in San Antonio and one of the issues is you know, I, I all of my military people that come in. You know, primarily, as you might expect, the men that come in, because I mean, we have we still have a more dis, disparate um, a, a number of people that are in the military that are men than women still, mm-hmm. and they they come in and they're and they're you know they they don't understand why we can't start out with a even a playing field. And, and that's what's kind of happening
0: yeah no um, one ever plans to end up in family court and then you think oh we're in court in the united states of america this is going to be very fair easy process they're going to look at the facts and you step into family court and it can go off the rails rather quickly
1: No, no, no kidding it sure can
0: <laughs> which, which and, and this is something I, I want to ask you about because a lot of a lot of the conversation around equal and shared parenting is talks about do we what type of discretion do we want to remove from the judges? Well, in the state of Texas with the the SPO, in a sense, you've gotten rid of a lot of that discretion in the initial order. Like, hey, you're you were the pri- you took primary parental responsibility, and you were the one that was out of the home working. So here's the standard parenting order. So. <laughs> Do you think going further down that road and removing mo- even more discretion um, is in the best interest of, of our children, of our next generation? Or do you think allowing that, that discretion and allowing a judge to customize what's going to happen is what's best?
1: Okay. So let, let's be really fair about that. I mean, how much time, I mean, and you practice too, Mark, right? I mean, how much mm-hmm. time do you think that a judge actually listens to your case and how much how much internalization does that judge do and 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 how do they really know because everybody is going into the courtroom and they're like okay well this is my best foot forward right i mean that's what they're going to show they're not going to really show a day in the life of this child they're not going to do that because you know you've got i mean you know as well as i do you have 3 or 4 hours or maybe a day or maybe 2 days or maybe 3 days to present your case and then the next thing you know i mean you really can't get everything before that court, and so for me, less discretion on the part of the judges would be the best thing to do. I mean, it really would be. And mm-hmm. I always counsel my clients when they come in. Look, is there a way? That's the first question I ask. Is there a way to mitigate? Is there a way to try to try to figure out a way that would be in the best interest of this child? And you know, unfortunately, I mean, most of my clients, you know, they they, they'll, they, they listen to that, and I think that. I think that the judges that, you know, when you really think about how much time you have in front of the judge um, and how much time you have to present your case and what you can present and how, you know, the rules of evidence, all of the stuff that, you know, that that precludes you from being able to present really what's real. I mean, it makes it a very difficult situation. So for me, in in my practice, it's like, let's try to stay away from the courtroom because it polarizes the parents. It doesn't help with co-parenting at all. Let's be fair. Let's be fair. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. And, you know, if we can, if we can get them on the same page, it makes a a complete different situation. Now that being said, (laughs) it's very difficult to get them on the same page some of the time and the courts, you know, I don't, I, I would be, I'm the first person to say, let's try to keep away from the courts because you lose control when you do that. You just do. Yep. You just do.
0: Hey, I, I that's the exact same thing I tell clients. I don't know how many times I represent exclusively fathers or sure. about 80 to 90% of my clients are fathers, 100% men. And I, I would probably say 50% of my clients walk in. And one of the first things they say is like, are you a bulldog attorney? Are you going to go fight for me? And I'm like, you probably don't want that. Um, you you probably, you don't want to make this a three year nasty back and forth battle when what we should be trying to do is, Even if you aren't seeing eye to eye with your co-parent right now, if you aren't seeing eye to eye with her right now, um, you guys are still gonna be in the best position to make the decision of what's best for your child and for you guys. When you're gonna see a judge in in California, you may see a judge once every three months for a year and a half, and then you have a a six hour trial. Um, They have no idea who you are. We've been, and and I don't know if you guys are still uh, telephonic or virtual in a lot of areas, you guys yeah. are back in person but i mean no, no no
1: i mean we are i mean some of the some of the outlying counties are doing the same thing i don't want to i don't want to get you off here because what you're the point you're making is super important i think personally. Yeah, yeah
0: no, it's 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 one of those things where like you think about for the last two years we've been on the telephone in some counties judges haven't seen anybody yeah I, I, how can a judge get a true feel when they may have 60 to 80 cases on their docket any given week and you're gonna your attorney's gonna talk on the phone for five to 25 minutes, and the judge is going to make a decision. Um, Even when it was in person, even when you involve mandatory mediation, there's not enough bandwidth. Judges are humans, attorneys are humans. There's no way for them to take in all the relevant information. Uh, So they're, they're kind of aiming and shooting blind where even if parents don't agree, we need to find all the common ground that there possibly could be. And narrowly tailor what the judge is actually going to decide.
1: Okay, I, could not, I could not agree with you more on that situation. I just couldn't. And and you know, and being in being you know in a situation where you're t- you're on the telephone or you're talking with the judge, you know, that's you know that you're not in person. It kind of, in my opinion, it it, it hurts the case a little bit. You don't get to see the tonal quality of their, you know, I mean, you, you can see the tonal quality. You can you can you don't get to see them, you know, in person. You don't you don't feel the energy. It's just not a really good, good situation to be on the phone or in Zoom to me. I I would prefer to be in, you know, in person.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely out here. We've over the last couple of months gotten back in person for all, most of the, most of the regular hearings. And I'll say this, my, my biggest, I'm the biggest fan of that because getting face to face with opposing counsel, knowing you're going to walk into a courtroom 15 minutes from now, a lot of times spurs action um a lot of times clients think it's going to be some nasty litigated out hearing and then then we end up having to tell the judge go in check in say hey give us another half hour and we end up writing out a stipulated agreement where both parents got to put their input and they ended up getting most of what they wanted they realized there was common ground
1: you know i mean don't you think that's a win win for the kids i mean oh how-
0: so much Think about it. You could. You got. I'm sure we have viewers here who have have been in the court system for four, five, six, seven years. Um, and, and I'll say, the longer you're in the court system, the more jaded you get, and um, the more the the more clashing that can occur between co parents. If sure. you have two attorneys who are willing to, I call it laying on their clients. Like when the other side's asking for something reasonable and they're just being difficult to be difficult, where you grab them by the shirt collar and say like stop it cut it out you don't even care about this or this is exactly what you want you're just disagreeing to disagree you can turn what could end up as a several year process and 16 18 years of difficulty into a six or eight week process and then kind of that healing can begin Absolutely,
1: um, i completely agree with that
0: so Andy, it's well,
1: per- nine times out of ten don't you think mark that nine times out of ten we just were able to work it out if we're in a courtroom you know, we just asked the court to, you know, let, let us have some
0: time to just talk. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I've had so many, I, I mean, I think it happens more often than not. You go in and, and obviously attorneys are busy and and it's hard to maybe get on the phone with them for a prolonged period of time, but you show up and you see them in the hallway, hey, you want to chat? You start talking and it's like, there is a lot of common ground. Sure. Um, it becomes very real for the parties too when um, there's the big wooden door swinging open and closed in front of them and they don't know what to expect. Right. So I think if more attorneys were were less worried, and I think there's it's becoming more and more common. If more attorneys were willing to say, hey, we're going to make a deal because or we're going to negotiate an agreement between the parties that work for both of them and are in the best interest of the child, rather than going in front of this judge whose courtroom is underfunded, understaffed, and overburdened with caseload.
1: And that's what's happening on every in, on every front. I mean, you know, honestly, it's just, you know, I agree with all of that. I think that if we have a chance to confer, if we have a chance to talk and, and you know, it just really depends on the reasonableness of, of you know, the litigants as well. I mean, you have to rely on your clients and you I, I think to a certain extent, some lawyers got to, you know, be a little bit more proactive about you know, keeping their clients in check. And, and when I say that, I don't say, I don't say, you know, they should control the client. I just think to a certain extent, if you're looking at what's in the best interest of the child, to me, it's it's you know, let's do what we can as a unit, as a collective, to make mm-hmm. sure that we do what's in the best interest of that child. Because you know, they're going to be differing opinions as we do, as we see in every aspect of our lives these days, everybody has an opinion. But for kids, it's you know pretty simple. It, it, you know as far as what they what their needs are, and they need to be loved. You know they need to be you know they need to be talked to. They need you know there there are certain things that I think we all as parents know that they need. To me, it's you know it's just a matter of getting together. You know especially when there's an emotional. When you start a case, usually there's some kind of an emotional. You know situation that's going on between the parties and and it always colors their ability to you know to rationalize a a really good um agreement you know with regard to their kids because you know they come in mark i mean they always come in and they always in my you know to me they always want to do what's in the best interest of their kids it's just a matter of what is their differing opinion from their you know from their you know the other co-parent
0: yeah. No, 100%. It's, it's, that's where I think a, a good reasonable attorney, where it's like, you can grab, you build the rapport in the relationship where you can grab them by the shirt collar and say like, this is actually what you want. We don't need to sit here and fight for the next 18 months.
1: Exactly. Why fight over $2 a month and whatever, or $3 or even fight for, you know, two, two, two days. I mean, why- oh,
0: the, the stimulus checks. <laughs> that, that may have been, that may have been the most frustrating uh, we're going in you you, you want to go into court over six hundred dollars when it's gonna cost both parties two thousand dollars but briefing and the core appearances and everything that goes.
1: I mean, I'm sure you tell them that right, I mean aren't, aren't you, don't you tell them, look, you know, are you sure you want to fight this battle because it's gonna cost you more to fight it than it is for you to get? I mean, right? Yeah.
0: One hundred percent. Like the number of guys who came and they had a settled custody agreement, whether whatever it was, and they didn't get any of the kid, the money that was directed towards the kids' stimulus checks, and they're like, "Oh, I should have gotten fifty percent of it. I should have gotten thirty percent of it, whatever their custody split was." And I'm like, it, "It's it's to be candid, it's not going to be worth it." Yeah, if you throw it in. And try to get the judge to grant something just kind of offhand if you're going in for an actual issue, maybe, but just going in over your getting half a stimulus check it doesn't make any sense.
1: I agree with you
0: 100%. So we'll, we'll turn here now. Um, in we've seen this hit the uh kind of the national news scene with a case out of Illinois, and it's also happened in Texas. Um, but we have judges that, that we could say are are getting a little bit um, political. We had a case of Illinois where the judge made an order on his own accord taking custody away from mom because she was unvaccinated. Um, have you what, what have you seen in Texas up front?
1: We have a we have a number of judges I mean we have one in particular that has been you know basically I mean it's super strange. Um, you walk your, your, your clients into the, the courtroom or, you know, in zoom and they're, they're like the judge, the first question out of the, out of his mouth is, is have you been vaccinated? And so we have had some issues with that. And, and, you know, personally, you know, I think that's a personal choice and I think it should continue to be what you put in your body should damn sure be, you know, continue to be your own personal choice. Don't you, I mean, wouldn't you agree?
0: One hundred percent.
1: And so for you to take any action about, you know, against somebody that may be, you know, deciding to not do that to me is ridiculous. So we have had a little bit of that here in, 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 you know, in Texas, don't know how that's going to come out. And, you know, you know, as we, as you know, it's a state of flux at this point, who knows what's going to happen with regard to the COVID vaccines. It has reared its ugly head though, here in Texas, for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So um, what we'll do now is we're going to take a quick commercial break. And then once we get back, we will uh, turn to more of, uh, I think, what you deal with more on a daily basis, which is military divorces and what goes into
2: that. You love your children and want them to have everything. How about both parents? Introducing Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program. The program is very simple. Sign up. Download the app, access services. Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program offers access to medical market, telemedicine, mental wellness, medical bill negotiation and advocacy, chronic care, and a wellness savings program with membership add-ons available soon. Like prepaid legal services, prepaid college savings plans, prepaid identity theft protection services, and much more. Annual memberships starting at just $35 a month. Here's what our members say about us. You guys are a huge blessing in my life. This community is amazing. I truly thank you for all that you do. Learn more and sign up at www.tfrm.org. Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program. It's about the children. They're today and their tomorrow.
0: Welcome back, everyone. My name is Mark Real, and I am here tonight with Jamie Graham uh, out of uh family law attorney out of San Antonio, Texas. So um, a little bit of comment on, on the commercial we just ran for the equal and shared um, benefits plan. So got the chance to speak with our executive director Casey Sowers before the show. Um, We're continuing to improve that program. um, Adding some legal services also uh, added some enhanced mental health benefits. And uh, we're we're hoping that there's some grant money on the way that is going to uh, really make it a truly comprehensive uh, plan for for anybody to be able to utilize the services. So, all right, Jamie. So we've talked about it. You're in San Antonio, Texas, um, and and your website and everything. You talk a lot about the military divorce. Um, so we'll open we'll start out with what are the biggest differences between say two civilians getting divorced and then civilian versus military man or woman getting divorced
1: so the complication for military members are that they have to PCS every 3 years and so That makes it very difficult when you start a family. I mean, let's be fair. I mean, you know, if, if, you know, if you're not, if you're married, that's fine. But if you get a divorce, it becomes a completely different battleground. So you have to talk about, you know, where the child's going to be, where the child, you know, how we're going to be doing the, you know, transportation issues, you know, sometimes it happens that they may be going to another military installation and in it's in the state or sometimes it can be international. And that's where it gets a little sticky because you go to let's just let's say Italy. And you have an issue with regard to parent, you know, you have a, an issue with and you want to get a divorce and you have children in Italy and you've been there for, you know, 2 years. It makes it very difficult for the court to take jurisdiction over here. And it means that your jurisdictional, you know, you, you may actually wind up litigating your case in, in in Italy, you have to be very careful about what your choices are when you have children when you're in the military. I mean, let's be fair, that's the way it works. Um, so, you know, for me, military, it not only is the PCS stuff, you know, an issue, but it's, you know, you also have to talk about, um, what happens with kids when they have to travel and how old are the kids? What's, what's happening with them? I mean, how, what's their schooling? I mean, there's so many different things that you have to consider when you're talking about a military case.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, even I'll I'll give an example right now. I I actually have a client who is uh, in the San Antonio area, but his case is being litigated out of Southern California. Um, sure. so, so it's not always the most convenient thing for, for the military member. And, and I can't get into details, but if your attorney doesn't handle things appropriately, it can get very, very complicated or very, very, it can turn out poorly for the military if their rights aren't protected. So no, do you want to talk a little bit about about some of the extra protections that military members have when going through these proceedings?
1: Well, I mean, you know, one thing that happens to me a lot when they come into the office is they start talking about JAG. And I've got to be honest with you about JAG. I mean, JAG is, you know, it's it, it's it's a federal it's it, they are going to be based on federal law. And unfortunately, when you come into a you know, when you when you go and you talk to your JAG officer, I, that's awesome. I, I appreciate the fact that they're there for you. and And, and of course, they should be. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it equates to what the state law is. And so I don't think that a lot of people that come into my office or that probably yours, too, Mark, I would I would assume know what the distinction is between the federal law versus the state law. And I don't mean to make it simple. But the truth is, you know, when you're when you're litigating about a case, uh, when you're litigating with regard to divorce or you're litigating with regard to child custody, I mean, the Jack doesn't really know anything. I mean, if you, if, to be fair, and, and I'm not dissing them, I'm just saying it is a very state based law and you have to you have to um, abide by the state law. And, and, and unfortunately, the JAG officers that do talk with some of these military people, um, the military or service members um, just don't really know. I mean, they do want to help them and they do they do try, but it's just not a state based law that for them, it's very federal based. So we have to educate them when they come into the office as far as yeah. what, what, what doing with the state.
0: And I think the biggest challenge, and, and I won't say I, I have a handful of military clients, but I think the biggest challenge when they come in a lot of times is there are always unique issues to the military that are involved. Um, it's, it's never, it's never a straightforward, we want a divorce. I need to file. You got to figure out where to file, who's going to take jurisdiction,
1: how it's going to work out. I have so many questions about jurisdiction. Jurisdiction is a huge issue in military cases. It just is. And the transportation costs, who's going to do this, who's going to do that. And the fact of the matter is, let's be fair. If somebody is going to, um, if they're going to get a divorce and one person is going to be in another state and the other person is going to be in a different state. You've got to think about what's going to, what's the effect is going to be on the child when they have to transport from, you know, you know, I don't know, five hours, they have to take a plane flight for five hours. What are you, what are you going to do with this four-year-old kid that's, you know, that, you know, what are you going to do with that? I mean, those are all those considerations that you have to take and, you know, you have to think about. What are you going to do with that child at four? I mean, how are you going to get that? Because, you know, if you t- if you start with the premise that everybody has got to have as much access to both parents, which is what I always do, yeah. you know, if, you, if, if we have two equally very good parents, that child should have access to both. Right. I mean, that's what you would think. So you really want um, you want to foster that you want to be able to get them, you know, where they can where the child can be with both parents. And that's hard sometimes in these military cases it just is i mean yeah you've got to worry about the cost because it's, it's you know it's insurmountable sometimes for some of these military people to you know pay for the cost of transportation it's expensive to to fly from you know from texas to colorado texas to you know Another state, it's expensive. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta talk about that. You gotta talk about the time. You gotta talk about how old are your children? What's gonna happen with them when they're on the flight? Do you have escorts? Is there a, is there a, the ability to, um, you know, to have somebody? Can mom go? Can dad go on the on the flights if they're too? If they're if they're young. Can they can they go by themselves with a you know with an American Airlines escort or you know with the Southwest Airlines escort? Can you do that? You know those are things that you have to think about, and it's hard because you know when you think about a four year old being on a kid on a plane, you know I mean most most parents would be shaken in their boots, right?
0: I have four year old twins, um, and oh the thought of them flying by themselves would be terrifying. Of course, um, of course. so. So, yeah, no that that's that that's the biggest challenge, and that's that's not even just a challenge um for military members and we we talked about this a little bit pre-show, but the state of California has seen a mass exodus of people the the last census, it was the first time California's population had gone down in uh, essentially since it became a state. And I don't know what it is, but I feel like that I've seen in the last three to three months a major increase in in moveaways where you have to get creative. Um, one parent just flat out can't afford to live in California. one parent might be stuck in California because of work or whatever it may be. So I think that's becoming an increasingly challenging issue. Um, but then at the same time, I think technology sometimes bridges those those gaps a little bit better than maybe it did 10 years ago
1: and that's perfect. You know, when you think about it, I mean, you think about zoom and you think about all the things that you can do with regard to, you know, FaceTime, all the stuff that you can do with, you know, assisting your ability to parent, you know, it's hard to get a two year old to be on the, on the, on the FaceTime for any length of time. So that, that kind of level of communication is just not there. Now a 12 year old is a different story. It's completely, you know, it it really depends on who you, who your kids are what, you know, what the ages are and, and, you know, what their cognitive abilities are and all that.
0: Yeah. I think that's that, I think that's the most challenging thing for a lot of parents is, One is the fear, there's the fear of the unknown. There's the fear that the other parent is alienating them, talking poorly about them, is encouraging the children, especially when they get to six, eight, 10, they get closer to the teenage years, one parent's talking bad and that's why they don't want to talk. Or it's just a simple fact that they're a kid and they want to play their video game, watch their show, play with toys, rather than talk to mom or dad.
1: And sometimes it's precipitated by the fact that one parent or the other does not want the other parent to talk to the child, which is really unfortunate because if they would recognize how important that relationship is. And, and unfortunately, most people don't, you know, a lot of, not, I don't mean most, but a lot of people don't recognize how important it is to have both biological parents in, in, in involved in the child's life. That's the most, that's the hardest part to me is to, is to watch that. I mean, there, there are times where they just don't, I mean, for some, God knows what reason, they just don't feel like they want to have, they want to share.
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's the biggest challenge, especially when you have a client. And I, I guess just from, from my, my point of view where, I deal with fathers on a daily basis when you have a father who's willing to be reasonable, who wants to do everything, is willing to cooperate at least enough. And you have their co-parent that wants nothing to do with that. That, that might be the toughest situation to deal with is when you see that person who's willing to do the right thing and their co-parent can't
1: that happens more often than not. Right. I mean, don't you, don't you agree? I mean, that really does happen. And as lawyers, I think all of, you know, all we really want is some common, and exactly what you talked about initially is some common ground. And how do we, because for me, when I start out with a consult, I am I'm okay. So let's just talk about what are the issues and how do we find a common ground? And, and, and that's the first conversation I have with them is you have an issue with the fact that they, you know, bio, bio mom is not responding to your text messages, or you're not responding to, you know, your request for access. And to me, it's like, this is not just your child, you should be sharing this, this child, you know, it's hard. I mean, you know, they come in a lot of the time and, and, and people think Unfortunately, they really do think that. I mean, a lot of a lot of parents think that it's they should they should take the action to to preclude the other parent because they want to micromanage the parenting. They want to make sure that the child is eating right. They want to make sure that there's diapers or whatever. They're, you know, there's always you know, are they breastfeeding or you know, all kinds of things that go on with you know with with, with raising a child. But the bottom line is, is that I don't think that they put into consideration what is the most important thing is these kids, without question, need to have both parents in their lives. And if they put that in front of everything else, if they realize that that's psychologically, emotionally, to me, that is the most important thing. Ma, you know, little girls need to have daddies for their self-esteem. That's where they get their self-esteem. I mean, if you look at the statistics, that's where our little girls get self, you know, get their self-esteem. My goodness, why preclude a little baby girl from having access to their dad? Why do that? I mean, you know, if you just wake up and say, okay, you know, I want to foster this relationship, you know, that's the most important thing that relationship, their relationship with the co-parenting, the relationship with their kids. And, you know, quite frankly, these kids would be much more inclined to be, um, a part of, of ever, you know, let me, let me make sure I'm clear on this. They, they, they they'd be much more inclined to be a, you know, a, a, a much happier child. If both parents could figure out a way to feed them, the way that they need to be fed. And and, and I don't mean food, I just mean emotionally. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. It's just so hard, especially when you come off of a. Usually when they start in a case in a, in a courtroom, they have a very emotional. There's usually some emotional situations going on. There's, you know, there's maybe some, you know, bad blood. Um, They need to get past all that. They need to get past it. And they need to recognize that it doesn't matter how they feel; it just doesn't. What matters is what how their kids feel, and how 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 they feel, you know, comfortable, you know, comfort, and how they feel nurtured. And you know, I I, I just find that you know, if we recognize that from the out, out, outset, and we can't, be, it, a lot of them can't because they've already coming off an, a, of an emotional situation. But if they recognize that from the outset, and they start thinking about it from the standpoint of what's best for my kid beside, you know, instead of what's best for, how can I, how can I mess with the other parent? How can I do something that's going to be, you know, you know, how can I just push back, recognize, start with the premise that let's figure out what's best for my kid. And then let's start with how do I work in why I feel so bad about our, you know, our last communication why i feel like you know i'm getting the short end of the stick there are other ways that you can handle that instead of like bringing the child into the mix i may not be making any sense i hope i am no you
0: you're, you're making perfect sense and i mean here's the thing we have now we have 25 years worth of research data that shows that it's in the best interest even if the parents aren't together for them to have two parents actively caring for them. And I mean, if you break down, I think the number was the last number that the father's rights movement had was, I think it was 126 studies that showed that either equal parenting time or maximizing the amount of time with each parent was what was in the children's best interest. And you break it down even further into the, the the women's law center shows that mental health scores for women are better with, for women that share 50-50 custody, than women that have seventy-five percent or greater custody, um, they show that obviously mental health scores are for, better for dads that have fifty percent custody rather than twenty-five or less percent. Um, and then then you go on to I think one of the biggest determining factors of success and development of kids we don't like to talk about it a lot is but it's the financial situation. Sure. And, and right now the current the current the current standard uh, possession order where the state of Texas considers the old standard possession order technically created an at-risk child by the state of Texas's definition, which yes. is crazy to think. They determined that the lack of time they were spending with that non-custodial parent made them, it was government sanctioned creation of at-risk children.
1: Sure.
0: And, and if you get to that 50-50 point, um, the same the Women's Law Center um, women are 54% more likely to make a hundred thousand dollars a year if they have somewhere between 40 and 60% custody of their children compared to if they have 75 or greater. So yeah. there's so many different, the research, the numbers, everything points to everyone being better, happier mentally, um, emotionally, physically, financially. Um, when you create that equality, you're creating a situation where a kid can thrive. Um, I, I argue that a lot of times this 25, 75, this every other weekend dad, that essentially creates, in a lot of instances, two poverty households. The dad's paying so much money in child support that he can't provide everything that he would want for the child. And the mom's got such a parenting burden that she has the inability to maximize her income to be able to provide for the kids.
1: I agree with that. Completely agree with that. I mean, I think the financial thing has reared its ugly head in Texas as well, I mean, you know, because the truth of the matter is, is there's a motivation. Gosh, I'm opening up that. Door. Oh,
0: you guys, you guys had the, no, you guys had the attorney general summer after they intercepted stimulus checks announcing their victory.
1: <laughs> right? I
0: remember that. I remember that.
1: I know. I know there is a motivation. There is a certain motivation for, you know, for people to come in and, 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 and because you know, if you really think about the, this, you know, in Texas, for example, um, our standard possession order. I mean, if you really look at the extended standard, it, it you know, it's a it's a forty six percent kind of a situation where non custodial parents have. You know, I mean, there is a motivation to push that to a certain extent because of the monetary, um, you know, benefit, monetary gain that the, you know that the opposing party might 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 be able to get and so you know unfortunately i think that's you know i i, I would hope that it wouldn't be a monetary situation but it is i mean it, it it does to a certain extent does have a little bit of a factor in where how they decide they're going to litigate you know to me it's it's you know if the kid needs it if the child if the children need it i think we should you know i think we should take make make considerations for that but there is a motivation for people to litigate on that on that basis alone
0: and then you guys in Texas have the why in California you can only go back to data filing but um in Texas you can go back four years so the uh, I uh, Cassandra Daniels was on like I said about two months ago and she said there are situations in Texas where the man did wasn't even aware that he had a child Or situations where they've had, they've split custody but haven't been to court. Mom calls up the attorney and said, had full custody. They try to go back and get four years worth of child support payments.
1: You know, those are the worst cases. You know, when you think about it, 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 it's it's one of those that you you, you, you do a double (laughs) and you're thinking, oh my gosh. They haven't seen this child for 10 years. They just, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? You do a double take on some of those because you're wondering why. And <laughs> it's monetarily oriented sometimes. I mean, not all the time, but sometimes it is.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. So we'll, we'll, we'll change the pace. We're at about 47 minutes right now. Um, if you have any questions, I'm going to go through here um, the comments on YouTube. Uh, blowing up today. so let me let me dig through and find a couple of good questions and we will will answer those. All right, so first one here they used uh, some some uh, vulgarity, but I think it's a, a valid question that, that Jamie and I both answer on. So, what do you believe, uh, or uh, what are what are what is your advice to clients on social media when going through a hotly contested divorce or child custody proceeding?
1: Less is more. Just don't do it, because the problem is, is it comes in no matter what, and I don't know if you, I don't know if you experience the same thing in in California, but. That stuff comes in. If you're gonna put like I've been Xanaxing or I've had like, you know, whatever all night long, and you're gonna do it on your social media. I've been taking drugs or you know, I, I don't I I I don't mean that, but I mean I've seen I've had extreme cases where, you know, they get online and they they start talking about how much they partied the night before or what they've done or how they've, you know, that is just If you're going through a custody case, just don't do it. Just stop. Be very innocuous about how you respond to situations. I mean, because believe me, they're going to find the comments that you make on certain posts. It's going to happen and it's coming into evidence. At least in Texas, it's coming into evidence. Be careful about what you say in social media. Be careful about what you say in general. We have a information overload right now. At this point, we are, have so many people saying so many different things you will be picked out and the judge will know what you said. Be careful what you say, be careful, just be, you know, I mean recognize that some of the stuff that you say may be read in a different context and it may hurt your case
0: and it can be very innocent. Um, I'm sure you've you've seen this before too, uh, Jamie, but it'll be instances where like I have clients who maybe they they grew up in rougher parts of town, they have family members who are involved in drugs or gangs or whatever, and they're not involved in any of that. But I've seen instances where Facebook posts where they are wearing a brand that just so happens to be a favorite local brand of one of the gangs, um, ends up in the filing, and all of a sudden he's a member of that gang when he's had zero affiliation of it. Or you go down the 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 range. I, I'm always blown away when this gets these get entered into court, but California weeds legal. But your fight, you're you're in a custody battle involving two preteen kids or or a baby or whatever it may be and posting Facebook posts about your favorite weed related products. Um, no matter how progressive the judge is, that, okay. that's gonna cause pause. Like I, I, I'm posting my, my favorite bong on social media. I'm posting <laughs> my favorite rappers for um, rolling my blunts on social media. That's gonna raise some questions and it's just completely and totally it doesn't make any sense.
1: You know, that Cardi B song, that wop song, <laughs> it just brings yeah. up, it brings up another situation. We had a case like that. And we had a little two year old, you know, I don't need, I'm not going to go into details, but, um, it was, you know, acting out that song. I mean, don't be stupid. I mean, don't teach your two year old to, to dance to Cardi B's wop song. I mean, be fair. <laughs> That's the biggest
0: challenge.
1: A lot of custody, by the way. She lost custody because of that. I mean, you know, it may be cute in your living room. It's not cute in a court of law. It just isn't.
0: Here's what I tell dads all the time: that stuff. So something like that let's just say the song's playing and the little two year old starts dancing to it or your four year old starts dancing to it and you guys are a couple and you're together, you guys are gonna laugh and that's gonna be hilarious and you're gonna post it on social media and all your friends and family are gonna laugh. But the minute you're not together, it becomes an issue. You see that around punishment of children. Like, hey, I mean, you're in Texas, so having lived there, kind of know the mentality, especially West Texas, Um, But like, okay, it may have been that mom used the spatula, dad used their belt, their shoe. You had to go pick a a branch off the tree, whatever it may be. And that was okay when you were together. But the minute it becomes a tit for tat in court, all that stuff has to stop. There's so many things that are perfectly acceptable when you're in the relationship that you just have to stop if if you're going to be.
1: Absolutely right. I mean, without question. I mean, the other thing that kind of rears its head a little bit is the corporal punishment issue. I mean, I don't know what California is doing there, but, you know, I grew up with corporal punishment, obviously. I mean, I'm in that age bracket, but, you know, and, and, and you know, it's it it can be it can be a double edged sword to a certain extent. I mean, some of yeah. us are taught to be corporal, you know, to be corporally punished. Some of us are like, are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. I mean, so some judges are going to say. Oh no, that's not gonna work. If you're corporally punishing your child, you don't get custody. I mean, there are so many different little things, and even if you're raised with corporal punishment, they don't, you know, they, it's not the same thing.
0: I, I think here in California, it's one of those things where if it gets brought up as a concern, no corporal punishment ends up in the order.
1: And that's exactly what happens here in Texas. Exactly. And I mean, and I'm that. not sure.
0: You what? You see, high. You see, it's it's happened high profile situations in Texas. You had, uh, what, probably five, seven years back, Adrian Peterson, oh, yeah. um, for spanking his child with a switch, and he ended up in, in all sorts of hot water um, for it. And I mean, I have I have cases where, like, a young uh, a preteen boy, a four to ten year old boy, if they don't have bruises on their body, something's wrong but there's no corporal punishment in the order and then mom snaps pictures of he's got a bruise on his back because he was probably doing something stupid and that a boy does and she immediately is not it
1: it's exhausting it's exhausting there's pictures you, you you get all of this plethora of pictures oh my and you can't see a bruise for you know for anything you're like okay where's the bruise exactly where's the handprint What's going on? This seems like a little boy that has gone out there and gotten in the dirt with the rest of them. You know what I mean? But that happens a lot. It happens because it's, you know, it fits their agenda. It fits the agenda.
0: Yeah. That's uh that's that's definitely that that's one of the more frustrating ones is when you know it's it's just an uh, a 6-year-old boy doing 6-year-old boy things or Hey, a four-year-old may face plant into the coffee table. Like <laughs> that, that happens. Um,
2: it does and, happen.
0: uh, it, it, go, it goes back to that stuff. You would have laughed, you you would have made sure the kid was okay and then you'd have laughed about it as soon as you put him to bed if you were together. But now that it's in court, it, with this interest of the child standard, it is a tit for tat. So you're gonna try to leverage everything you can to get everything you want.
1: Exactly. It makes making a mountain out of a molehill a big issue. <laughs> Mm-hmm. it just does i mean because that's what's ha- that's what's happening and you know i mean that's i mean, that's part of the gig right i mean it's part of the thing that you expect when they walk in i mean you know and all you can hope for is that you know they they recognize that they have to co-parent in some capacity and that's what i tell every client that walks into my office you have to co-parent in some capacity but you have to recognize that if there's any danger if there's anything going on with the child um, that you've got to do something about it because otherwise you're, you know, you're not, you're, you are you may be guilty of negligent supervision. Mm. You know, it just, it just makes it very difficult.
0: I wish for, for me, I wish and I, individuals who are co-parenting would operate under the presumption that 99.999% of parents just want what's best for their child. Um, the exception to the rule is the parents who don't care. And If judges and co-parents operate in that sense, I think there'd be a lot more trust. Like, I'm sure you get the emails and the phone calls like, oh, he or she scheduled a doctor's appointment when they know I'm going to have to take off work. I'm like, did you, like, they immediately told you, hey, here's the appointment. Did you ever think that office is probably pretty busy or that was just the time they were given or that works best for their schedule? But we we they you end up operating with such distrust that every little thing oh, sure. becomes this bickering back and forth. Well
1: oh, yeah they start with the, they start with the question was oh my goodness gracious they set this doctor's appointment without even consulting me and they said it so I could not be there. You know what I mean? I mean you know what I'm talking about? I mean that's what happens. You get that conversation, you get that call that you know, and 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 of course it's just, you know, when you're, when you're apart from each other and you're not talking to each other, which is the worst thing you can possibly do as a co-parent is not talk because these kids are going to be 15, they're going to be 16, they're going to be 13 and they're going to be exploring all over the place.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, if
1: you're not in communication with each other and they're spending half the time that they're spending in one parent's household and half the time they're spending in another parent's household, do you think that they're not going to explore and they're not going to work? You know, they're not going to work both of you guys. Y'all should be in y'all should be in you know complete, completely in, in cahoots with each other as opposed to what you know what your child could do to you. And I have raised you know, I've two children like that, and one of my one of my kids is a, is a, is an attorney, and I can tell you right now, when you get to teenagehood, it is just not friendly. It's just not. It yeah that's,
0: that that i had that exact conversation with a client who was very uncomfortable that's a 50 50 arrangement it's new mm. um and there's a lot of distrust and you had to talk have to talk them down off the ledge like hey other parent like you have to operate in good faith sure. now there are obviously we family courts exist because there are, are issues that that happen but It takes time to adjust to that 50-50 and it takes time to adjust to not seeing your child all the time and being able to trust them. But if you got a a four, six, eight year old child or children in that age range, like now's the time to smooth that over. So when they get to 14, 15, 16, like you're on the same page, so they can't get themselves into real trouble.
1: Exactly, because that's when they start exploring and that's when you really have to have an eye on them. And if you guys are not communicating, if you're not talking to each other, like, did you know what was going on in school today with, you know, so and so, if you're not communicating, they are going to work. They are smart enough to work each other against you. I mean, you know, I mean, so recognize the fact that you want to have a very productive child and you want to make sure that you, you know, if you don't communicate, they're going to do stuff that you are not going to know about. You just they just are. I mean, it's just part of the gig. And, you know, as much as I love kids and I do, I adore kids. I mean, that's the whole reason I practice is because I want to I want to take care of them. Um, You just have to you just have to kind of like, you know, recognize the role that the other parent has in their lives and appreciate it for what it is. And, you know, and prop them up if you can. And if you can't and if they're just a piece of shit, Excuse my language. Oh, you're just, good.
0: You can say whatever you want.
1: You're just a piece of shit, parent. I get it. I get. It. Let, you know, you know, work your way o- around that. But if they are really actively trying, then recognize it for what it is. Just recognize it for what it is and try to do the best you can because there's no rule book for us, you know, as as parents. We just have to, you know, figure it out. But as litigators, it's makes it so difficult because you put your hands in it you put your child in the hands of somebody that's going to be making a decision on, on behalf of your kids. It is not so, Oh no. It's it make, talk about vulnerable.
0: I think, I think this is a good, a good comment to to end on here from Savage Cabbage. Love your child more than you hate your ex. It's couldn't that agree more.
1: Could not agree more. It's very simple. I, I couldn't agree more. Savage Cabbage. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. So, as, as we wrap up here tonight, Jamie, I want to thank you for coming on um, and, and for all the viewers. Um, we will be back weekly now. We just took last week off. Uh, next week, we're going to have California family law attorney David Passara on out of Santa Monica. Following week, I'm going to be live from St. Louis at the Americans for Equal and Shared Parenting Conference. We're working out the final details of that. Um, and then we're going to have Pennsylvania. And then I'm going to be live from Orlando at the American Bar Association conference the following week. So we got an exciting month of the show. Uh, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us tonight and, um, sharing your knowledge and sharing your experience. Um, sorry to everyone in the comments. There were a lot of comments tonight. We were not able to obviously get to all of those. Um, But we will see everybody next Thursday, 5 p.m. State of the Family Courts.